Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, it's a twofold situation here. Transparency sadly missing in law enforcement across the country as Colorado Springs Police Department joins in the bunch. What does that mean? CSPD is not the pristine a highly ethical organization that you might think. We're going to deal with that, but also compare other institutions of law enforcement across the country that have failed at transparency where it needs to be. We'll be discussing Brian Carrado, uh, Colorado Springs Police Department Chief, uh, Chief Niski, and anyone else that is included in this group of people that simply have lost their way, including District Attorney Allen for the Colorado Springs, El Paso County District Court. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. We take off right now.
there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Sapson Riddle, Dave Zerpolo, William Williams, Quentin Stewart, and Dennis Merritt and the entire HAC radio team tonight as we are faced again with this conversation that needs to be had. What is going on in law enforcement? What is the core problem? And I'll tell you right now, part of that problem, which is a big part, is the lack of transparency. And as these law enforcement organizations continue to show clear signs of the lack of transparency, uh, people's lives are affected in a very negative way. And we're going to have that discussion. Samson, as we go down this road again, dealing with, again, not only Colorado Springs Police Department, though that's a key point tonight, but also law enforcement, people dying in custody uh, in county jails. They're not even sentenced to any type of prison time. They're simply, they simply have been accused of a crime and are coming out in body bags. How important is this conversation tonight? Well, I mean, we really need to get this story out there. We need to get, like, people need to wake up to the fact that, you know, this big blue wall, blue curtain, whatever you want to call it, like, it definitely, it needs to come down. Now, there's been articles put out there already that this thing is starting to crumble, you know, especially with the recent history of the Chauvin case. But the fact of the matter is, is the more transparency, like like the uh, the chief said that we, we had in here just a couple weeks ago, the more transparency you have, the more trust, the more respect you get from the public that you're trying to protect and defend. On the converse side of that exact same coin, the less transparency that you have, the more you try and hide stuff, the more people are going to take it in their own mind and in their own right and say, we're going to go with the worst case scenario because if you're not going to tell us what's going on, we're going to jump to whatever conclusion we want to. The fact of the matter is, is they're not being upfront. You know, most law uh, law enforcement officers aren't being upfront with the communities they they again they protect. They're not being open. They're not being honest. And instead, they're trying to do some cover up or smear campaign for the people that are being victimized in local, county, and even you know federal uh, institutions. Well, no, without question, that's the federal lawsuit, David, uh, filed against the city of Colorado Springs, the Colorado Springs Police Department, uh, as well as uh, the district attorney's office, all the government here. Uh, and the mayor of Colorado Springs, Mayor Southers, is still silent uh, in spite of repeated attempts in trying to reach him regarding the lack of transparency here. But the blatant acts by the Colorado Springs Police Department and Detective Corrado uh, that shows clear bias and religious and, and uh, racial discrimination, uh, in it, I mean, at its best. Right. And uh, as far as Mayor Southers is concerned, he's a, a stout uh, legal mind. He understands these things. Uh, uh, Col- the, the Colorado Attorney General, well, State of Colorado's Attorney General, as well as the U.S. Attorney for the State of Colorado, now the Mayor of Colorado Springs, he understands what's going on here. What you'll find more often than none is that law enforcement and much of the criminal justice system is a crony system. They, they're friends with each other and they protect each other. They can talk about due process and all this other type of stuff. Uh, and many times due process just doesn't work for a lot of African-Americans. And unfortunately, you have to fight through protests. You have to fight through lawsuits uh, on, on some of the most uh, the, some of the smallest issues. They'll, they'll try to uh, they'll try to just t- take abuse their power, take take uh, take tasks on any and every type of conduct. And in many ways, uh, the courts and the criminal justice system as whole as, as a whole serves as a as a proverbial lynching machine for African-Americans, uh, whether they're going to lynch your freedom or lynch something on your life. And, and, and uh, 
put a stigma on, on you that'll last you the rest of your life and put you as a third class citizen. Unfortunately, they don't want to look at that. It's a crony system that's lynching the freedom and, and many times lynching the lives of, of African Americans under the guise of due process. William Williams, your thoughts? Absolutely. You know, the thing is, one thing that's been bothering me is that they actually think they're above the laws that they are there to enforce. You know, if you look at them, they get away with everything. I mean, I, I was talking to a guy today. We were talking about one of the show topics when we were talking about George Floyd. And you sit there and you say the same police officer that was charged with killing Philando Castillo was charged with the same, made the same charges. Right? The same charges were filed against him when you said that way. And so he was later acquitted. And you ask yourself why. And if it wasn't such a polarizing uh, case with George Floyd, if you didn't have the video with George Floyd, the likelihood of Chauvin getting away was very possible because that system takes care of their own. They, they literally think they are above the laws that they, are, they have been hired to enforce. Yeah. And, and it's, it's sad, but that's the reality that we're living. And that's why this topic, for this, it needs to be out. We need to talk about it. And the citizens need to understand that, you know what, we have a right to stand up. We have a right to let our voices be heard. And we need to educate ourselves and say, hey, listen, guys, this, this system is wrong, and we need to do something about it. There needs to be some accountability. Dave Zappolo, when you look at everything that is happening in the world today, if there weren't the cameras, if there weren't the citizens that are stepping forward, so many of the police, prison guards, many in just the law enforcement community would be getting away with murder more so than they are. I mean, you see that if an inmate dies in a prison, then if nobody reports it the way as a death, it's accidental death. Oh, he, he just died in his cell? We don't know what happened. When you see that there's body cam footage or other people coming forward and then they're going after the prison guards, you wonder how many times this has happened where nobody knows about it. Well, I'll tell you this right now. They're not going after prison guards for the most part. You have Mr. Rainey in Florida who was cooked to death, locked in a shower at 180 degrees uh, to the actual flesh was, was actually falling off of his body uh, as officers laughed and mocked him as he screamed for his life and no charges were brought against them. And even though the correctional officers uh, controlled the temperature of the shower, no inmate could do it. So the bottom line is, and, and this is the ugly part that people simply do not want to deal with. If you go to the Florida Department of Corrections uh, uh, websites dealing their jails or their prisons, you'll see a clear explanation of the environment that your loved one is doing time in. Uh, they'll show flowers and folks outside doing recreational activities and Plates of food that you will never see pass through any inmate's hands. This is a game. It is, it's, a, it's the best at a Hollywood production that is simply not true. And those are the things we're going to deal with on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial in to 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. we got a lot to cover tonight as we deal with not only issues across the nation, but also in our own backyard with the Colorado Springs Police Department and the acts of true bias that continues to go on at, uh, in our own backyard. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in the nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison... Life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. When news and headlines following an act of gun violence fade away, who's left? The families. Gun violence is real. It affects more people than you would ever imagine. Losing a family member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incident. Although our country struggles to agree on a long-term solution to gun violence, we can all agree on one thing. Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence needs our support. Focus needs to shift to the human being. These continue to happen, and more people have 
join the club that we didn't ask to be a part of. There's families that are not getting the help that they need. It seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have. So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love. Compassion and hope. Life for these families may not get any easier. Their lives are never going to be the same. Ever. But with the support of others, they will get stronger. We can help. The Christina Grilly Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because He's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we deal with a law enforcement problem uh, all across the country, and let me be clear, as we do on every show, as we have to have these difficult discussions uh, that may be difficult, rather, for some, that we, again, uh, honor the badge and honor those that wear the badge, that, that respect, uh, that are really uh, heroes of our time, police officers uh, that are on the front lines every day, uh, taking a risk every time no guarantees they're going back home at the end of their shift to those officers that are honoring the badge and not doing the things that we are talking about on this show tonight we salute you tonight from ajc radio and it just calls uh without you uh, our society our communities would be just a, a chaotic situation so let, let us say thank you uh from ajc radio as we have to deal uh with the issues where officers are not doing it we have we're obligated to just speak to both so uh if you fit, want to dial into the show tonight please feel free 646-200-0628 646-200-0628 and uh we were talking about the transparency uh and the culture that we're seeing in law enforcement it's a type of arrogance of rogue if you will attitude that they can simply do whatever they want to do and they'll hide behind what David, David called, I believe, the blue wall uh, of law enforcement. And everybody in, in situations that you find across the country, 
are going to protect the one over the other. That's something that's a major problem. Uh, somebody has to step up and lead uh, us into change when it comes to law enforcement and where the good officers are to stand up without fear of retaliation for speaking out uh, against that which is wrong. Um, David, your thoughts on that? Well, it's just, it's a difficult situation for those officers that want to speak out. Uh, uh, there are institutional issues uh, where the powers that be are always trying to protect the image of the institution. And sadly, because of the cronyism, that contributes greatly to the lack of transparency. We're not going to be transparent. We're trying to protect ourselves so we can't. That's my friend over there. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he's not perfect. And this way they kind of look, uh, I, I would think, uh, look at their, their friends uh, uh, and fellow officers like that, that, that's a good old boy. And so it's a good old boy network. And they treat, they treat it as such. So overall, the system is built as an us against them system. And this is the institutional, at the institutional level, it's us against them, police against the public. And by and large, you, you, you see that as, a, as, a, as an undercurrent that flows through the entire uh, criminal justice system, whether it be through the courts, through the prosecutors and the police, they're all on the same team. And so to try to convince people, if you can't see that, you're really not looking uh, looking close or you're being willfully blind. Uh, it's just the way it is, and, and you see it the way they portray police officers uh, in a way that they're, they're superheroes. They're always a hero for them, no matter what they do. And if they do something wrong, well, uh, they always get the benefit of the doubt. So why didn't the average citizen get the benefit of the doubt when if they kill somebody, uh, well, may, maybe he feared when, when, when he took a life. But when, when they finally get to court, um, officers are given this uh, given favoritism where the average Joe, especially a black guy, he, he's going to be uh, uh, just rolled off to prison very, very quickly. And, and the, the so-called process, due process, is, is going to get him there. Oh, for sure. And, and we had the incident. And I think this became uh, as big of an issue regarding the, the, young, the elderly woman that w with dementia was injured by two Colorado officers. Uh, had the outcry not been what it was, the question is, would something have happened? Uh, this uh, comes, two former Colorado police officers were charged on Wednesday, one with felony assault uh, in the forceful detention of an elderly dementia-impaired woman whose shoplifting arrest left her with a broken arm and a dislocated shoulder. Circumstances surrounding last year's injury of Karen Garner, 73 years old, came to light last month with her family, when her family filed a federal civil rights suit against the city of Loveland, Colorado. It's police department and two officers who have since resigned. Police body camera footage of the June 2020 encounter became public as an exhibit filed in court as part of the lawsuit. The former officers, Austin Hopp, Daria Jelly, faced three criminal counts stemming from the arrest. Larimer County District Attorney Gordon McLaughlin said at a news briefing, Hop was charged with two felony counts of assault causing serious bodily injury and attempting to influence a public servant. He also was charged with official misconduct, a misdemeanor. He was also charged with three misdemeanor counts of failing to report the use of force, failure to intervene, and official misconduct. So 
those are two key situations there. Failure to intervene is the same thing that happened in regards to George Floyd. You had four officers total, I believe, that could, three officers that could have intervened and said, stop. You could have easily got in front of Derek Chavin and pulled him off of Derek Floyd. Your failure to intervene is about what we're talking about. The lack of transparency. We're not getting ready to move or do anything. And one of the officers made the statement in the George Floyd situation. Uh, he asked the question, but that was not enough. Should we, can we turn him over on his side? Not enough. Because you, any human being that watched that, watched that depiction on that video, without a doubt knew George Floyd was dying. They knew it. You have a 73-year-old woman here. With Do you know how fearful this woman had to be? And not one, you would think, where was the officer to say, stop? I actually had the opportunity to watch some videos uh, after the George Floyd situation happened. Videos were flooding social media of officers with their knee on the necks of, of, of accused criminals or whatever. And one officer had his knee, and this guy was saying, I, I, I'm unable to, he was fighting to breathe. And the other officer pushed that officer so hard off him. He said, you can't do that. Don't do that. That's what intervening is. And if you don't, if he did it, any other officer could do it. Dave Zapolo. And with the officers in Loveland, one of the things that really got me is they initially reported that they didn't know that the woman was injured. But then they showed video of them in the police station watching the body cam footage and one of the officers is laughing and saying watch watch here you go you're going to hear her uh, shoulder pop right here and you could hear it in the video and they're laughing about it that's 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 insane and you wonder why the trust in this country for law enforcement is what it is and as we said earlier why other law enforcement officers are put in harm's way this is why they're put in harm's way. And the officers whose lives are on the line indirectly because of what these officers have done, you're sitting in a room laughing at an elderly woman's shoulder popping out. And it says here that the, the woman had been caught by Walmart store security trying to leave without paying for merchandise valued at less than 50 dollars which may have amounted to what a, a gallon of milk a little bit of food that's not even a misdemeanor that's a ticket petty theft and this elderly woman with dementia that's somebody's mother until we take it personal you have a serious problem here what if that was your mom, your grandmother, your aunt? What if that's your sister? We don't have enough outrage. We need more of it. Kendra, go ahead. And see, this is this is kind of like the the issue. There, since Michael Brown and before and up to this point, George Ford, Floyd, it, it has been almost uh, almost an epidemic of police shootings on unarmed black men. 
But you got to look deeper than that. That's the that's the news headline that really grabs people's hearts. But think of the culture that exists inside of some of these law enforcement agencies that make an officer feel comfortable. He does. They don't even try to. I mean, this was happening back to back, like each almost a month at a time. He was getting the shooting. That that's that cover up culture that kind of. It's not just the officer. This has to go to the top. Uh, firsthand, we know that in uh, L.A. County, there was a there was a house cleaning of sorts. The FBI had to investigate because there were reports of beatings in the jails by deputies. They knew about it, and there was even a report where one a rookie deputy quit in November, and this is 2016, where he turned in two officers, his superiors, who made him beat a uh, mentally ill inmate. So once he had to do that, this guy is crying, calling his uncle, who was a former sheriff, telling him what he saw. And his uncle at least had enough sense to tell him, hey, do the right thing. But this is where they found out that there was a cover-up because when he tried to report it, the L.A. County sheriffs tried to cover this up. And then they found out that as the feds dug deeper, this was a this was an epidemic, an endemic thing that was went to the top where they actually indicted the undersheriff and the sheriff. But this is the culture that we're talking about in these in these police agencies of – why aren't you transparent where people can say, hey, if I got someone in jail, can I check their well-being? Can I do a wellness check? Can I understand what's happening? No, you, once you are behind these, these jail doors, you don't know what's happening. And, then, and if something happens, like as, as seen in, these, in the L.A. County reports, they cover it up. They don't let you know what sort of uh, behavior is happening inside these uh, jails and, and well, police department. Here in El Paso County, there was a sheriff during my time of being wrongfully – convicted, uh, waiting for prison, uh, there was an officer who had been a deputy for many, many years uh, that pepper sprayed a gentleman down his throat and held him down, uh, ultimately killing this young man. Um, he was never fired. Uh, he was working at the time that everything cleared up with me. He was still a deputy in El Paso County. The only difference is he had a belt with nothing on it. He had no taser. He had no pepper spray. He had none of those things. But that's not good enough. I feel like I can just pepper spray. And if anybody has ever come encountered with pepper spray, directly or indirectly, I mean, that is a horrible uh, act of trying to breathe. Uh, I remember an incident at one of the prisons here uh, that they came into uh, the hole and this guy would not comply and they started spraying that spray. And I'm trying my best to get away from any type of opening in that, but you couldn't run from it. So you're coughing and hacking. Uh, it, it is a, I can't even imagine the death that young man went through. But speaking to the culture that Kendrick just mentioned, why was this man not fired? Why was he not removed? But why was he not charged? This is what I don't understand. He should have been charged at a, and not at a minimum of manslaughter. You know already that you cannot spray pepper spray and I'm talking his mouth held open and sprayed down his throat in the back of his throat. You, that's murder. Yeah. No charges, no nothing happened there. Again, 
that's here in our backyard as we deal with these actions. Uh, it's all over the country. Sandra Bland was in a situation. She comes, I believe, to Texas. She's there to apply for a job, uh, gets hired, is moving back there to start her career. Um, not a violent woman. The encounter with that police officer, uncomprehendable. Let's hear the, let's hear the clip. Today, the FBI said that it will monitor the investigation into a woman's death in a Texas jail. She was arrested after a traffic stop, but a few days later, she was dead. Sherry Williams of our CBS affiliate in Houston, KHOU, is following this. 28-year-old Sandra Bland, an Illinois native, had just moved to Texas to start a new job. Last Friday afternoon, she was pulled over for reportedly failing to signal a lane change. Police say she then kicked the officer getting out of the car. She was then held in custody on $5,000 bail. Three days later, she was dead, found hanging in her cell. The medical examiner's office ruled her death a suicide. But Bland's family says she had no reason to kill herself. Her sister, Shannon Cooper. It is unimaginable and, and difficult for us to wrap our minds around the sanity that we knew. Prosecutors say at 7 a.m. Monday, a deputy brought her breakfast but never entered her cell. An hour later, Bland talked by intercom to another deputy, asking if she could make a phone call. At approximately 9.07 a.m., she was found hanging in her cell. Waller County District Attorney Elton Mathis. The death of Ms. Sandra Bland will not be swept under the rug, that there will be no one who is protected. Bland was vocal in her views on perceived police aggression. She often posted video diaries on social media. You can't tell me that the law doesn't see color. But in one posting from March, she revealed she was battling her own demons. I am suffering from something that some of you all may be dealing with right now. It's a little bit of depression as well as PTSD. The Texas Rangers have launched an independent investigation into what happened to Sandra Bland here at the jail. And Scott, the district attorney, says surveillance video from inside the jail could be released as early as Monday. Sherry Williams of KHOU reporting for us tonight. Sherry, thank you. And late today, the Texas Department of Public Safety told us that traffic stop procedures were violated in this case, and one of the officers involved has been reassigned to a desk job. Well, there you have it. Um, Sandra Bland, for a lane change violation. I don't even know if that's any points. And you heard in the clip, Ms. Bland was saying she could not hear out of one of her ears because he slammed her head that hard into the ground. 
And on the video, he violently drags her out of the car for a traffic stop. This woman is coming to start a career, a family, all these things here. And when you hear the video of him cussing at her, telling her to get out, for what reason? Because I didn't use a traffic signal, a right turning signal to get in the lane? She asked to make a phone call. Later they found her dead. This woman was, she was, she wasn't going to be there no, no long period of time. She had no reason to take her life. None. And because of footage, I don't care what the Texas uh, Sheriff's Department says. Doesn't make any sense. She lost her life. She was excited. She was motivated about this new job. You pull an African-American woman over. Why? I just want to mess with you today. Go ahead. It just blows my mind that, you know, for basically a $50 moving violation, this young woman lost her life. And I, when we were talking about the, the lady with dementia, you know, the, it just you, you hear the lackadaisical response that comes from the police officers. One of them was quoted as saying, a little muddy, a little bloody. That's how it works. That's how it works. When you're dealing with the citizens you're sworn to protect, we're talking about a young lady that, started, well, that was trying to start a new life, a new career in Texas. We're talking about an elderly woman with a mental a, a disease, you know, a disorder that she can't control and over less than $15 worth of groceries from Walmart, and these people are losing their lives left and right. Why? Because some cop has a God complex and a chip on his shoulder, and for that type of traffic you know, uh, incident, you don't even have to get out of the car. It's license and registration. Why are you trying to get me out of my car, Mr. Officer? Again, like you said, because she was a black woman on the road. There was the slightest little thing, and he just wanted to mess with somebody. The fact of the matter is, is that until... You know, we get through the veil of this, you know, blue curtain, blue wall, whatever you want to call it, and hold these officers, hold these police departments culpable for the deaths of every single body bag they line up day after day. It's going to continue. There's no room for this this lax response, this good old boy system that just allows people's lives. They say that this isn't going to be swept under the rug, rug or not. The fact of the matter is, it, it, it is more often than not. We we hear about it all the time, but when do we actually see justice coming down? On these, on these police officers, the fact that they wear a tin badge on their chest every day. Granted, now we, again, for those that go out there and they honor the badge, we respect you, we appreciate you, we love you for what you do. But for those that are sitting out here and, you know, smearing the reputation of those good cops, you should be held accountable for the crimes you commit against the people, just the same as any normal citizen. You commit murder, you should be charged with murder. Well, it says here regarding the lady with the... Uh, in Colorado, with the dementia, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on this one. Uh, the confusion that comes with dementia. Uh, I, I don't understand the cruelty that happens, not only what the officers did, but it says here the video shows Hop confront the woman, and when she tries to move away, he handcuffs her behind her back and shoves her to the ground. Garner was held at the police station uh, 
for hours before receiving medical attention. So you're standing out here with a dislocated shoulder, a, a sprained wrist, a fracture to our upper arm in a holding cell. 73 years old? Loving Police Chief Robert Tyser told reporters in a separate briefing that he supports the prosecution's adding that his officers now undergo training in de-escalating situations. This is not a de-escalation. What are you de-escalating, breaking a senior citizen's arm and dislocating her shoulder and tackling her and slamming her head into the ground? This, this is what gets old. Training? How about some human decency? You know better than that. Nobody trains you to assault senior citizens let alone with a medical condition, and then the people in the, in the police department where she's taken, you do nothing to give her care for hours? It is a culture. We just look the other way. Well, bring them in. That's the problem in a culture that is brass. Because somebody, when they brought that lady in, should have said, get her medical attention. What happened to this lady? Not in this system. David. And I think if we don't start, if people don't start looking at a pattern of behavior, um, Sandra Bland didn't put on a turning signal and switch lanes. What was she doing in jail in the first place? If that just doesn't make sense. She should have never went to jail for that. For, yeah, for that to begin with. And then I, I, one thing I'm tired of uh, is... You hear this narrative that, well, if they weren't resisting arrest, well, if if uh, people cooperated and and uh, and abided by all the laws, the police uh, the police wouldn't even be needed. So what are you talking about? Well, they should have just cooperated. The police are there for people who don't cooperate. Sure. That doesn't mean you you have a license to kill somebody who doesn't cooperate. Um, and so, so, so start looking at the pattern. Sandra Bland, right turn signal, dead. George Floyd, alleged counterfeit bill, dead. Eric Garner, selling loose cigarettes, dead. Detective Corrado and El Paso County District Attorney Michael Allen, charging church parishioners who called them to protect them from a gun-wielding uh, yeah, yeah, gun-wielding suspect and and to protect their property, charged with felony crime. Okay, how long does it, people have say? Look at the pattern here of behavior of people who whose power has corrupted them. Uh, the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church parishioners who were charged, uh, it, and they try to make the argument, well, a lot of these guys are in high crime neighborhoods. None of these people live in high crime neighborhoods. What are you talking about? Well, they try to justify. You hear this on, on the news. Well. All the crime occurs in these high in these high crime neighborhoods. You need to look around. Okay, the Colorado Springs Fellowship parishioners called the Colorado Springs Police Department to protect them and their property, and they get charged. These African Americans get charged with burglary to go pick up their property from a corporate apartment that they lease in the church's name. In the church's name. So, how do you get charged with that? A burglary? That's their property. They're there to retrieve their property and. The gainers 
who the church extended their kindness to were allowed to reside in that apartment. They, they, they weren't allowed to keep the furniture. Obviously, you had to go through normal eviction procedures for people, in many cases, to get out of the apartment, but they're still not entitled to, to, some, to someone else's property. Yep. So if you look at... The, if we start looking at a pattern of behavior, you're talking about the guy laughing in Loveland? Li- li- well, listen, wait till a shoulder pop. These are some, some of these people are very sadistic. Yes, and, and you just can go down the line and watch the pattern of behavior and just how sick and sadistic some of these officers are. No, we don't paint everybody with a, bad, a, a broad brush, but it's, it's hard to separate them when nobody steps up and is transparent about uh, – what goes on and nobody uh, st- steps up and says, no, this shouldn't have happened. And then guys are allowed to retain their jobs and all this other type of stuff when this sort of conduct uh, happens. Well, and to Chief Niski, you're, you're a coward. Adrian Vasquez, Deputy Chief, you're a coward. You're a hypocrite. You might as well go ahead and, and tear down your little transparency community leaders board. It's a joke. You're not transparent. You don't care about your citizens. When we brought this to your attention, Chief Niski, you did nothing. When we brought this to your attention, Deputy Chief Adrian Vasquez, you did nothing but come with a political answer. You're a hypocrite. To the Aurora Police Department that says, uh, we, this is not going to be swept under the rug. The culture sweeps it under the rug. That's a political answer. We're doing all that we can. We, this will not go on. These are quotes. Put them in a quote book. That's they, what they amount to. They sound just like politicians. Exactly right. That sounds good. People continue to die. People continue to be assaulted over and over again. And don't forget, people continue to be imprisoned and locked up over and over again. What? What? The sick, the sickness that this hang 'em high mentality that we need to charge. Every black we see with a crime. There's, it's almost like it's almost it's almost this rabid desire. It appears that, that uh, I don't care. You're black. Uh, uh, we're gonna put you in jail. You're black. Uh, 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 you got to suffer some sort of consequences for doing things while black. And it's just it's a tragic commentary. But yet you continue, like you said, to get these are politicians. These aren't police officers. Everybody's a freaking politician worried about how they look and, and, uh, and, and getting their message out there and measuring everything they say, everything they say for public consumption so they don't look bad. These are all, all politicians. It's all for the cameras. It's a show. It's a Hollywood production. It's a no disrespect to Hollywood production. But it's not reality. But the thing, the thing that really bothers me about all this stuff is they think it's enough to say, well, this officer was suspended or placed on administrative leave. Or this officer will no longer hold a gun or a weapon. 
what what is that compared to losing life? If if any one of us are working, if we were to say take office furniture or take uh, office equipment, do you think that if we just left the company that they wouldn't come after us for for stealing something? Immediately. I, I mean, I mean, this is this is the culture that we're in, and we see it all the time. They some of these officers have gotten off with paid administrative leaves while. The department's doing their investigation. So, in other words, you're allowing this guy to sit, make money, still make money, pay his bills, tax money, tax money, and then they and they do nothing. And then another thing that we're talking about as well, when we had the guest on last week, he was talking about the the bill that's in place, or there he was instrumental in pushing forward that talked about the police accountability and how the police, uh, I guess, they were being basically settling. Billions of dollars of cases that were coming out of government or city funds and not coming out of the uh, the police department themselves. So in other words, you don't have accountability that even rolls up to the police department, you know, even for the settlement. I believe we have a caller uh, that we're going to bring on now, um, and I believe Liz, uh, Liz Brantley, is she with us? Liz, are you with us? Yes, I am. Go ahead, please. Thank you for calling the show. This is so disturbing. So, so disturbing. It seems like every couple of weeks you see something on TV with a black teenager, a woman, or a black man. It doesn't matter. It is so sickening. I am an elderly black woman. I drive. I change lanes. And this is horrible. This could happen to me. This could happen to anyone. It breaks my heart, and it's like we keep trying to do something and talk about it, but nothing's changing. Help me to understand why isn't it changing. I do agree with David. It's a behavior cultural thing, but it's so old. And I have to admit for myself, when I see a police with flashing lights, that's a shame, but my heart grips, and it shouldn't be that way. And I know I haven't did anything wrong, but your heart grips. So when they say resist arrest, I can understand what they're saying. They're thinking I'm afraid. Whether I'm guilty or not, they could kill me. So I'm just trying to understand why is it like this? Thank you for no, taking my call. No, thank you for calling, Liz. Absolutely right. David, go ahead. I want to make one more statement because uh, when Will was talking about being put on administrative leave, see, this is their – they'll say, well, that's the process. The process has to play out. He hasn't been convicted. Um, and they go down this. Well, this is due process for the officer. Oh, hold up. Slow, slow your roll. There needs to be a complete investigation in, into this matter uh, of this officer. Uh, yet, if, if somebody else does similar conduct, put him in jail, set bail, and let the process go. Well, why did he put in jail and charge and then let the process deal with him? So, uh, and then he has to make bail. It's, there's this double standard, okay? This person over here com- uh, commits an act, but I'm doing it under the color of, of my uniform, under the color of law. Uh, I'm judged by a different standard. I'm not going to have to be charged and post bail because uh, we got to do a, a preliminary investigation uh, before somebody's actually charged, where, where in many cases uh, African-Americans are charged immediately with the crime, just like the CSPD parishioners and Detective Corrado conducts no uh, legitimate investigation doesn't even ask, uh, check both sides to search for the truth uh, to find out what actually happened. So now I'm going to screw these black people over. These these 
these church members I can't stand. Uh, probably religion is probably uh, what he was thinking. These, uh, uh, I, I, I can't imagine what, what he was thinking. These black parishioners, they, they think they're better than everybody else or something along those lines. Who knows? But because his behavior just doesn't, uh, isn't consistent with anything an investigator is, is required to do. So, again, the other process is to put them on administrative leave. But, again, they, they always want the process to play out for them while they're paid on administrative leave while they hang them high uh, quickly with a lot of uh, black uh, type of uh, people who, who are arrested. And then there's no, and there's no true accountability. That's the, we could have transparency all day long, but if nothing's done to, 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 to restrict or to stop, you know, what they're doing, I mean, transparency, transparency is useless. These, if you, if you kill somebody, guess what? You go to jail for murder. If, if, if you do something that a normal citizen would do, Whatever that citizen is charged and how, whatever that citizen has to deal with as far as time served, that police officer should get the same exact thing. He can't get that. It's he, above the law. Well, well, no, he got punished. He, he got a desk job. Wow. That, that he got a desk job. Sense. He's going to work every day and he cashes the check and, and he can do what he, he does. Uh, and, and back to your point, David, regarding Corrado and the, and the CSPD regarding Colorado Springs Fellowship parishioners. Because that Telegraph did an article about five days ago uh, that hit regarding the conduct of these officers. Jack Edwards made a comment at the Gazette website. He says this, uh, there was an issue shutting off body cams, all kind of stuff that people can easily do. Well, we're wearing our body cam. Well, what good is the body cam if you turn it off? Exactly. Uh, there's protocol in place that if you do that, you're going to be held accountable for it. Uh, and, he, and Jack writes this, intentionally shutting off your body cam during an encounter with civilians should be a firing offense. No warning. Just grab anything personal in your desk and get out. The only reason to turn off your body cam during an incident is to cover uh, your expletive and make sure no accountability is possible. Fire and never look back. Make sure the officer's name is on the National Police Misconduct Database so no one else will hire him either. Is there such a database? Is there such a database? If it if the, if it's not, man, that's 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 good right there. If it is, nobody's using it. Nobody's using it. But this is, I like what he's talking about there. And Jack, thank you for that. If you're listening to the show tonight, people are not stupid. If you turn off the camera, come on. Why are you turning it off? That's the bottom line. It's an issue. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back on the other side of the break with our special guest, uh, Samil Trevity. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. He's senior staff attorney for Criminal Law Reform Project for American Civil Liberties Union, known as the ACLU. We're going to hear from him on these topics and more as we deal with this very troubling issue in law enforcement. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. 
and they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life based on what happened that night? That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America, and it's time to do something. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, 
in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations. People pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. As we have been in conversation, I'll tell you a hot topic uh, right now in this country, law enforcement, lack of transparency, the results of that, and what we're seeing not only across the country, uh, but here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Paso County, uh, with the Colorado Springs Police Department, and along with the District Attorney's Office, uh, Mr. Allen, the DA over there, uh, also, the failure to act by Mayor Southers uh, and Chief, Nis- Chief of Police Niski uh, of the Colorado City Police Department, along with Adrian Vasquez, Deputy Chief of Police, who simply sits by uh, and condones this type of behavior based upon their failure to act. And we're addressing all of these issues. It's, it's really, again, a hot topic. Feel free to dial in tonight to 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. Uh, and we have comments from Demetrius and Clint coming. Demetrius, we'll start with you. Your thoughts thus far of, of what you want to chime in on this. You bring up an interesting point uh, in regards to the, the blue wall or the blue shield in regards to a cover-up. It makes me believe, which I 100% agree, that if you cover up something uh, in regards to sending uh, church parishioners and arresting them and not in doing a full investigation, what – what would happen if CFPD had a Eric Garner or uh, 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 Mr. Brown or uh, Castile? So you're covering up taking uh, theft of church property. What if a black man, you know, one of the CSPD? So that, that tells you that we're supposed to put confidence in our law enforcement here in the city. But you're covering up something and trying to send innocent men to jail. So what would you do if there was a murder? If you're going to cover up this, you're going to cover up something else much more uh, egregious. So you're doing this to people that have every right to defend and to to take the property that owns to uh, belongs to church. So my problem is if you want us to respect you locally, we can't respect something when you don't, like you said, have transparency on a, a, a an issue that we're dealing with right now. Well, they're too busy trying to cover their screw up. Right. And they're not going to just have enough decency to come sort of say, you know what, we got this wrong. Not going to happen. Uh, 
but that's why, again, we fight and continue to fight uh, for justice for these guys. Clint, your, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, picking up on what David, uh, points that David was making is very good. Um, you know, there is a double standard because law enforcement is afforded the U.S. Constitution where you're innocent until proven guilty. Now, anybody that's been in the system, has faced, went to court, knows that that doesn't apply, especially if you're black. You're in that courtroom, you're guilty until proven innocent. And so they have a double insulation that, you know, because of the color of law, that if there isn't some drastic, you know, he kills somebody, and even if he kills somebody, he won't get charged, let alone go to court or, or, or put through the process. So um, to, to, to see, the public will never trust police until you apply one rule of indictment for law enforcement that you do for the man on the street. I mean, if you, it, it, it has to be so politically, so uh, society has to be so against you, such an egregious wrong that you have done just to even, uh, uh, you know, convene a grand jury. And then there's no guarantee that charges will be brought. So it's definitely a double standard and, and double insulation, uh, you know, the man on the street compared to the, to the guy in the uniform. It definitely is a double standard, and, and, and trust, that does not build trust. No, not at all. Uh, right now, uh, we're going to have our very special guest, Demil Trevity, join, uh, join us in this conversation. Uh, senior staff attorney, criminal law reform project for the ACLU, uh, and we are very, very privileged and honored to have him tonight. Mr. Trevity, are you there? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me tonight. No, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. We're honored to have you as our guest. And want to pick your brain a little bit as this discussion has gotten hot in here uh, regarding uh, police accountability, uh, no transparency. Uh, your resume speaks for itself. I'll let you introduce yourself to our listeners and chime in on what we're talking about here tonight. How important is it that discussions of this magnitude happen now but continue to happen? We just can't talk for a little while and say, well, okay, that's over with. This conversation has to continue to bring awareness to, to listeners across the country. Give, give us your thoughts on that, uh, Mr. Trevity. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, at the ACLU, I and my colleagues, you know, we are doing whatever it takes to break America's addiction to mass incarceration and systemic racism. And you're exactly right. That means we can't move on from high-profile events like the murder of George Floyd or even the conviction of his killer, Derek Chauvin, right? Um, right. That was a, a moment of relief for America. It was a moment of hope that maybe we will apply the law equally, as you all were discussing before I got on. Um, but if the discussion ends there, we're lost. Um, because one conviction is not going to fix police accountability. It's not going uh, to fix systemic racism. What we need to have is an ongoing discussion about the inherent conflicts of interest amongst all law enforcement. That means the ways that DAs and prosecutors cover up for police, the way that police lie for those prosecutors um, yeah. in day-in, day-out cases, particularly against minorities and poor people, but in cases day-in and day-out that creates a culture, a cover-up culture, which I actually heard on your show just five minutes ago. Um, that's yeah. the culture that we need to root out so that we never get to the point where Derek Chauvin can kneel on George Floyd's neck. No, no, absolutely. And Mr. Trevity, we were talking earlier regarding uh, the Colorado Springs Police Department situation here. 
whereas you have a a group of parishioners uh, going really to retrieve property, church property, from a loving kindness outreach program where uh, a family was helped, uh, a corporate uh, apartment was set up under the church uh, to say, look, we'll give you a hand up till you get going. Let, let's do something to show kindness. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was turned, it turned, of course, against the church. Uh, they wanted to basically keep $20,000 worth of property, end up leaving the church, not wanting to follow guidelines, rules of the church. Uh, well, you can't keep church property and you can't be part of the loving kindness outreach if you say, look, we're going to have a gun in the apartment. We'll have weed. We'll smoke. We'll get a-. Well, guess what? Uh, we're coming to get our property. That's for families who need that hand up uh, and are respectful of church protocols and rules. Now, when the file was taken to the district attorney's office that uh, uh, that this property was stolen, the district attorney didn't even open the folder, ref- refused to even review if a complaint existed. This is the first time I ever heard of anything like that. Because normally they're going to say we have enough to go to, to bring charges. They said, you know what, we don't e- we're not even going to turn the page or open the file or read any material. Is that something that is clear bias? Because the, the cases, had she opened the file, the DA opened the file, well, she already knew that the cases were linked about with the false arrest of these parishioners. Says we're not getting ready to have our key witnesses uh, in a situation where they're listed as and being charged with felony theft. Give me your thoughts on that, Mr. Trevany. That's exactly right. So you there there is obvious bias there because there is an inherent conflict of interest between police and the prosecutors that rely on them. We should never rely on prosecutors who work with police day in and day out to then turn around and somehow erase that history, that professional, that personal history. They go to barbecues together. They drink at the FOP happy hour together. We can't expect prosecutors, local prosecutors, to then erase all that and um, be expected to treat those cases uh, even-handedly. So um, it is not surprising to me. This is a devastating story, um, and there is obvious racial bias in uh, the whole setup underlying uh, the, the charges and the investigation by Detective Corrado. But you are right to focus attention now, not just on the detective, but on the DA covering for him. Um, and if, if, you know, the state of Colorado or the county or the city of Colorado Springs wants to get to the bottom of this, they need to look at the DA's office's relationship with the police department, with the sheriff's department, and determine ways to create some true independence. Now, that could mean electing a new prosecutor who commits to holding police accountable. That could mean an independent oversight board. Um, that could mean an investigation by the attorney general. But um, people, uh, you know, people deserve to have law enforcement that is sufficiently independent um, that they can be relied on to hold themselves accountable, or we need to yep. bring in outside people who will. No, no, absolutely, Ms. Trevity. And here, look, what you're looking at a lot of the times, again, why the civil, uh, the lawsuit for civil rights violations now uh, comes into play here, which is the federal, of course, a federal uh, issue now, uh, is to bring awareness that, look, you're not going to get away with this. Our position as an organization is that, look, you have to fight against this type of behavior. Because otherwise, yeah. look, 
Your neighbor next door could get it next. The guy I work with at the job may be the next one that comes. They come up with some bogus stuff. Then what you do, you divide a community. You divide people, and people are outraged. They're tense, especially now in the country. African Americans are focused on, man, do we matter? And apparently yeah. what? When we file a complaint, we call the police and say, look, there is a problem. This is the reason why African Americans say, you know what? I'll, I'll take my chances. Because when I do it, I now become attacked or targeted or biased against by police officers when I picked up the phone and said, I need your help. That's a big problem. Your thoughts on that, Mr. Trevity? Um, so what you're getting at, I think, is exactly right, which is we need accountability when law enforcement violates the law itself, when they violate the Constitution. We need accountability. So that civil rights lawsuit, that's going to be part of that mix of accountability from the outside. We also need to reduce the number of interactions between citizens and police, period, right? Mm -hmm. We need to yeah. get law enforcement out of these sort of convoluted uh, covert investigations by Detective Corrado. We need to get them out of schools. We need to get them out of mental health responses, out of homelessness responses, out of drug responses, right? Because until we cure this inherent conflict of interest, we have to say we need a moratorium on or we need to reduce as much as possible these unnecessary interactions that always tend to escalate and nearly always end up with dead black people um, at the hands of law enforcement. Uh, so I think it's a two-part approach. For harm that's already occurred, you need true, independent, outside oversight and accountability. And to prevent future harm, you just need to stop these interactions as much as you can. Absolutely. Dave Zappolo, you have a question? Yeah, and this is really some great information because you see that there has to be some accountability and people have got to be able to see what the police are doing. I mean, I'm looking at a case from 2006 with the Colorado Springs police where they did not want transparency. There was a, a brutal beating of an African-American man and the ACLU went to the Colorado Springs Police Department with a court order asking for the records. And the Colorado Springs Police Department refused to give them the information and actually sued the ACLU. And one of the things I want to bring up is this great quote from the uh, ACLU that I'd like Mr. Trevity to comment on is it says the people's trust in the police is increased when the police department can show they have conducted a thorough investigation with integrity and held officers accountable, said the Mark Silver, Silverstein, the legal director of the ACLU of Colorado. We live in a society that's based on the premise that the public has the right to look at government documents to see how the government is conducting public business. In our, the situation here in Colorado Springs today with the Colorado Springs Fellowship, if they showed that they were conducting a good uh, investigation, there wouldn't be any problems. What, what do you think of that, uh, Mr. Trevity? I think Mark has it right, and you all are lucky to have Mark uh, in your backyard. He's a fantastic lawyer. But, um, you know, I truly believe that there is a silent majority of law enforcement who wants more accountability and wants to root out both the bad apples and the systemic uh, problems within law enforcement so that they can build a trustful community and do the important cases uh, that they came to that work to do. But they are often silenced by a radical minority of law enforcement officers who are dyed in the wool, who don't want to change, um, and 
uh, you know, are, are happy with the status quo. You know, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot like the conversation around qualified immunity, right? Which, for your listeners who who may not know, qualified immunity is a is a legal doctrine that basically makes it impossible for folks like me. Um, to bring civil rights lawsuits against police and other law enforcement officers. And there's a, a debate at the national level, uh, largely associated with the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that, that's currently in Congress right now, about whether to get rid of qualified immunity. Um, and a, an organization called the Major Cities Chiefs Associations, which is uh, uh, the, the chiefs of police in something like 70 large cities in America, agree with that principle because they know that in order to police their communities effectively and with trust, the community needs to believe that accountability applies to them as well. So they support uh, reforms that will apply greater accountability to that group of law enforcement who's breaking the law, and that'll make it easier for the better ones among their ranks to do their job. No, absolutely right. David? Hey, uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Mr. Trivedi. Uh, Trivedi, I'm sorry, I'm trying to pronounce your name correct. Um, well, I, you actually nailed it. It's Trivedi. Thank you. Okay, good, good. Hey, um, now there's an issue in the Corrado, uh, in the in the church case. Now, this is a was a a part of the transcript. Now, Mr. Corrado, Detective Corrado, is interviewing Miss Gaynor, who is one of the people residing in the in the church uh, corporate apartment. Uh, now, Miss Gaynor actually tells him. Uh, first of all, listen. I want to put this to, uh, in the context of, of, of Corrado on the record saying there is no probable cause to charge and arrest the Gaynors. Now, during the interview, Miss Gaynor told him, "I know they." talking about the church parishioners want their stuff. And then she goes on to ask Corrado, would it be wrong if they took the property? So she's admitted it's church property by saying it's their stuff. I know they want their stuff. Corrado mm -hmm. responds uh, by stating the way we look at this case is that the church parishioners was there to retrieve property they thought belonged to them. Now, if you look at the backdrop, Corrado actually had receipts from the church uh with twenty thousand dollars it showed they purchased twenty thousand dollars worth of church property and uh yet he still goes on and actually Gaynor gave that to him prior to starting the interview with a letter from the church attorney bernard Kleiman, stating that they are not to remove or damage the property that belonged to the church uh mm -hmm. And that they had 30 days to get out. So it's so telling. Corrado's bias is just so apparent and transparent. And then the, the lack of inaction by uh, police brass and the city uh, in general, when they have this type of evidence, which was presented in a letter to them, as well as it was put out in press releases, that now Corrado's claiming there's no probable cause when Gaynor tells him it's their property. And, and actually has the audacity to ask if it would be wrong for them to steal church property. And then Corrado responds uh, in basically participating in the theft of church property and conspiring to steal, in my, in, in my view, church property by telling her they're going to view it uh, as, a, as, a as a civil matter because the church was there 
to retrieve property they thought belonged to them. Well, if they thought it belonged to them, why are they charged with a crime uh, of, of burglary in this case? It's just your comments on that. It's just completely outrageous to me. Yeah, I mean, th this sadly, I mean, this is a pretty extreme example, but this sadly happens across the nation every day. These are convictions in search of a crime, right? These are set up. Oh. Law enforcement decides they want to target somebody. They create the conditions for the conviction to take place. Maybe they cultivate an informant or, or an asset like they've basically done here with the gainers. Uh, and then they use the legal process to reverse engineer the result that they wanted. Um, you know, we've all heard the phrase that you can indict a ham sandwich if you want to, right? That also means that you can refuse to indict a ham sandwich if you want to. Um, <laughs> prosecutors and police control who gets charged in America, and it doesn't take much for them to justify either decision. And so you're exactly right. If they want to target the parishioners, they can find probable cause pretty easily to charge them. If they don't want to target the gainers, they can say probable cause is a very high standard that's tough to meet. Uh, and so, again, it speaks to the need for greater transparency outside independent oversight of these organizations and greater uh, or in eliminating the conflict of interest between the police and the DAs who charge both the police, the police's targets and the police themselves. Kendrick, uh, Mr. Trevett, this is Kendrick Barnes. Just, I mean, what you're saying is is very sobering because, as you said, uh, a lot of people are familiar with that phrase, you're going to die a ham sandwich. And the things you're saying is like, this is this is like out in the open. They're like doing this right mm -hmm. in the public's eye. Uh, just, just as you're saying, a conviction looking for a crime. So my question is to you is, how do we, do you have any thoughts on how do we change or correct this mentality, because if you have officers or certain officers inside of a, a agency that are that are I don't know if they're bored or have an agenda, but they they instead of going after real crime, they they create these instances, and they know like uh, basically in the back of their minds that I'm going to be protected from the chief, uh, the DA's office. Uh, then if it goes any further than that, the unions, the police union is protected. I mean, how? Do you have any sort of, of thought on how do we correct this shift? How, 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 can, how is that possible, if it's possible? Yeah, I, I think it is possible. I want to be hopeful. And I think it starts with democracy. Uh, you know, luckily in America, I know democracy is teetering on the brink these days, it seems. But we have used democratic elections for district attorneys and mayors and sheriffs to start turning the tide in many cities in America. Um, uh, in, in Philadelphia, we just uh, or, or, you know, progressives just reelected Larry Krasner on on a reform agenda um, that's happening in different places around the country. That can happen in Colorado Springs. Um, and uh, that's where you start to get prosecutors who care more about police accountability than covering for police. Um, that's where you get mayors who um, aren't beholden to the police union for their votes and their and their um their campaign cash. So uh, I think it's been a long time coming. And look, 85% of prosecutor races are still uh, uncontested in America. That's true for a lot of, uh, you know, sheriff's races as well. Uh, but that's changing. And so if I can, if I can get you and get your listeners to go out and spread the word, 
these criminal justice related positions probably have more impact on your local communities than the president, right? They're the ones who destroy families and lock people up for generations and um, eliminate generational wealth by, by keeping often black fathers in jail. Um, and, and, you know, they, they cut the knees out from under young black, black boys before they ever get a chance to get an education and get a job. Um, that's all decided by folks like district attorneys and sheriffs and police chiefs. Um, so if there's, a, if there's a galvanizing call to action here, it's that for you and your viewers to get involved in these local races um, and, and stem the tide, elect the kind of people who believe more in, in Black Lives Mattering than, than, than blue ones. No, 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 absolutely right. And, and we say this all the time, uh, Ms. Trevetti, is that, look, uh, there are good officers out there. There are good police. There, I'm sure there's good district attorneys. In every profession, you have the good people. And this is what we say. We salute those people. But you have to speak to those that are not so good, those that do what Corrado has done here, uh, what the district attorney's office has done here. And you have to speak in volumes. A federal civil rights lawsuit is speaking loudly. And that's what we have to do. And if that's what Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has to do, to bring attention and awareness to, look, we matter. Colorado Springs Fellowship Church in this community for 40 years has done so much outreach in the community with police officers, the sheriff's department, the fire department, first responders. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, and it was a vision of Pastor Rose Banks, who was the pastor of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, who, when the Eric Gardner killing took place in New York City, she said to, uh, to the parishioners, look, we need to let police know we do care, that they do matter, and that in spite of mm -hmm. what these bad apples did, what I want to do is feed the entire Colorado Springs Police Department, lift morale up in the place. We're going to feed the sheriff's department, she said. We're going to do all of these things. We're going to set a forum in the community, use, my, use her church to do it, to let the community come together and put on a program called Let's Talk, to let community people and police officers and DAs talk. These are the efforts and the steps taken by Pastor Rose Banks and Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. So for 40 years, this has gone on. So then to be a target, of this type of treatment, you could not slap or spit in the face of this church and that pastor any louder. That's unacceptable. You got to remember, you're still black at the end of the day. Uh, at least that's the message they're sending. Absolutely right. Your thoughts on that, uh, Mr. Trevetti? I agree. Um, I think law enforcement ought to be uh, safe, effective, and rare. Uh, I think we, we need to reduce our reliance on, on seeing every uh, problem as a criminal one and start reinvesting in communities, especially poor black communities, um, so that we uh, are policed the way that the white suburbs are, right? Uh, white suburbs don't yep. believe that there's a policing problem in America because they don't see police all too often, and that's as it should be. Um, I want, I want right. communities all over the country who, who feel supported with resources and schooling and, and jobs so that when they call the police, it's a serious matter, and then the police respond seriously. Um, and we can't have that until we, like I've said, 
increase the accountability for the ones who go astray um, and, and, and reduce the footprint such that we're not sending police after people like Dante Wright for having air right. fresheners dangling in his rearview mirror or George Floyd for maybe passing a fake $20 bill. This is what creates the kinds of interactions that reduce trust all the way around um, and re result in community harm. Uh, instead, we ought to be giving those communities the resources they need, um, including when they need it, effective police. No, absolutely right, Mr. Vetti. Good point making. Dennis? Yeah, Mr. Uh, Tavetti, uh, I, I was just thinking about uh, when you were talking, you know, everybody take this word to fund police as, you know, this huge no-go, you know, you're trying to get rid of the police force. Uh, could you define defund in reference to uh, police uh, departments? Because you're talking about it, and I'm almost sure you, you didn't use the word defund, but let's take resources that, you know, police officers are not needed in every situation, like you said. So how do we make sure, and, and, and what, what, where do we replace police officers in those instances that, that you just described? Yeah, I think it's a fair question. We all need to be honest about the vision that we have for public safety and public health. So I'll be very clear. 80% um, of criminal dockets around the country are for misdemeanors, right? We all know that misdemeanors are often low level, often nonviolent, often the result of things like poverty and addiction and mental health. I think the vast majority of that 80% could be replaced with trained professionals like mental health professionals, social workers, um, who can address problems in a professional, non-criminal, non-violent way. And I think that we would that would go a long way to reducing um, these kinds of interactions that get escalated and then end up with black folks dead in the street. Um, so, so reallocating the responsibilities that law enforcement currently has and honestly doesn't even want to the people who are good at those responses. That's a large part of what we need. So, you know, in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, where Dante Wright was killed on the same day that, that Derek Chauvin uh, was indicted, um, they have now switched their entire approach to public safety and created a Department of Public Safety and Health, um, where police still exist but they're under the umbrella of an organization that says we're going to attack these problems from a public health perspective, and we find most issues to be public health. Uh, we find most low-level uh, offenses that are currently criminal to be – we can deal with them with citations and other interventions, restorative justice, uh, et cetera. Um, and even for violent crimes, there are smarter approaches like – violence interruption programs that use trusted messengers from within the community to quash beasts before they get to the point of gun violence. Those have been proven effective, in fact, more effective than jail and prison. Um, and then for the small, small number of serious crime or crime prevention or hotspot policing that we need, um, we can have a conversation about um, they're needing to remain a trained professional police force. But I still think that that's marginal compared to most of what policing is today, which is low-level enforcement of quality-of-life crimes against black communities that don't need to happen. No, oh, good point, Mr. Vetti. Uh, Well-spoken. Your perspective is, is appreciated here. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Mr. Vetti, how are you on time? 
I'm here if you need me. Okay, we appreciate that. Uh, when we come back, folks, uh, feel free to dial in to the show. Got any questions? 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. Uh, we are honored tonight to have Samil Trevetti given a perspective that is much needed in a very serious discussion, and he's given a clear perspective for us to definitely learn from. We're going to hear from him on the other side of the break. We're going to talk a little bit on the other side of the break about some of the other issues happening uh, in the lack of transparency. Uh, what's happening? People are dying. Uh, Colorado Springs Police Department begins their actions and the things that they have done and the state of Colorado uh, fitting into this culture of cruelty. Uh, we're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. The criminal justice system has a set of rights created to protect you. But do you think it's really protecting us? You had a right to remain silent. But that really means you had a right to be silent, doubted, interrogated, suspected. The color of your skin can and will be used against you in the court of law. In their hands, we're incarcerated five times more often than white people convicted for the same crimes. You have a right to attorney during questioning. In some states, 80% of criminal defendants can't even afford an attorney. So an overworked public defender controls your fate. One government employee, countless lives at stake. You had a right to be innocent until proven guilty. But somehow, about 47% of the wrongly convicted are black. And if they do prove you're guilty, they're going to write you a run-on sentence on average 20% longer than white defendants accused of the same crime. Even if you get out, you're still not free. When you're an ex-con, they had a right to deny you a bank account, deny you a mortgage, deny you a job, deny your vote. And if you don't remain perfect with the smallest slip-up, smallest infraction, the most honest mistake, you're going to join us, the 80% who come back to prison within five years, as I did. That's when you realize they didn't bring us here to thrive. They brought us here to build this. The plantation and the prison are actually no different. The past is the present. It ain't no coincidence. This was the plan since abolition, to keep us subjugated by creating this system. But I believe in a different set of rights. The right to stand up and be heard. The right to reform a broken justice system and build a new future. We had the right to be silent. Now it's our right to speak up. Do you understand these rights as I read them to you? Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. 
America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. I wanted to be in the military since I was, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well. Because they're not here with their families. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio tonight as we have 
had some serious conversation and dialogue with our very special guest, Samil Trevetti, uh, giving some information and some perspective really on this growing problem dealing with law enforcement uh, across the country as well as in our own backyard here in El Paso County, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Detective Brian Corrado, uh, the Colorado Springs Police Department, the District Attorney's Office, uh, and the City of Colorado Springs for civil rights violations, a federal lawsuit filed against those entities of law enforcement and the local government here, uh, holding, trying our best to hold those accountable uh, for civil rights violations. You wonder uh, in 2021 how such violations happen. That is the question, and that is the troubling question. How is that? Even now, when we are surrounded by the Breonna Taylors, the George Floyds, the uh, Walter Scotts, the Eric Gardners, all of these people, and for all of those that are too many to name, uh, that have died uh, at the hand of officers needlessly, that have died in custody. Sandra Bland, we talked about earlier, uh, for a lane violation, dragged out of her car, uh, head slammed into the ground by a officer uh, where she was saying, I can't even hear. For a traffic lane change. Uh, so the culture is not exclusive to a particular city. This is a nationwide problem. Uh, and uh, Mr. Betty, I can't thank you enough for joining us and, and dialoguing with us in this conversation. Uh, Senior Staff Attorney, Criminal Law Reform Project, uh, American Civil Liberties Union, known as the ACLU. Uh, Mr. Betty is a Senior Staff Attorney at the ACLU's Criminal Law Reform Project and Professor. And we are we are pleased to know uh, that you have taken time out of your schedule. And again, we can't say thank you enough for your perspective, uh, Mr. Vetti, on these, this very, very important topic. We appreciate it. I also want to put in uh, it, Mr. Trevetti was also a prosecutor for the Department of Justice uh, and a and a U.S. attorney there in, in uh, Washington, D.C. So he has seen it from both sides as well as criminal defense. So uh, his uh, his resume and his background, it definitely uh, uh, can speak to, uh, very well to this conversation. So thank you, Mr. Well, I appreciate from... it, guys. Yes. Yeah, well, th thank you so much for having me. I think you're having an important conversation. You're right that it's nationwide. Um, you're right that it takes understanding all perspectives. Um, uh, and I, I do I do consider the fact that I was briefly a prosecutor. I've worked with prosecutors, with law enforcement my entire career, and I've worked against them from time to time when that's necessary. Uh, and that's the approach we need now. An all-or-nothing approach from either side is not going to work. We need to be clear-eyed about uh, what the problems are, and there are solutions out there. That's what gives me hope, is that when we have experimented with alternative approaches to incarceration, when we have experimented with alternative approaches to prosecution, um, places around the country with different demographics and different political makeups have all found a way to reduce mass incarceration, to reduce racial disparities while keeping their communities safe. Uh, and so if we are data-driven, if we are fact-driven, if we keep the lines of communication open, um, there are ways to fix this problem. 
And I have no doubt, Mr. Trevetti, that uh, with you leading out in any situation, given, again, what David and I just went over, uh, your resume is very impressive, but your passion to do uh, the right thing and to institute change where you see it uh, is more than beneficial to those upcoming attorneys. Uh, I think you have a lot to offer to, to young folks uh, coming up in that field. Uh, we need more, definitely more uh, Mr. Trevetti's in the country that's doing what you do. We, we thank you so very much for that. And, and more Lamont Banks, but thank you very much, sir. <laughs> thank you, sir. We appreciate that. What I'm going to do now, Mr. Trevetti, is play a clip. Uh, we wanted to address this issue earlier, but I, I want to speak to this, which is the uh, the mentally ill woman that died from brutal restraint in a U.S. jail uh, who was tasered to death, a mentally ill uh, woman. I want you to, I want, I'm going to play the clip for you. We've got a couple of more of these, but I want to get definitely your thoughts on this clip. Let's play it. Another U.S. police video sparking anger. It shows a mentally ill woman uh, being tasered by medics and officers. Ma'am, kneel down. Kneel down on the ground. I've got one more. Kneel down on your knees. Kneel down on your knees. Hold her down. Someone's getting away. Video shows Natasha McKenna, a 37-year-old, restrained by medics and officers during uh, a cell transfer. The woman had been arrested for attacking a police officer. She also had a documented history of mental illness, including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and depression. McKenna died four days after the recorded taser incident, with medical staff declaring brain death associated with physical restraint. Officials describe what happened as, quote, tragic. But none of the officers involved have been investigated. We spoke to Carl Dix, a civil rights campaigner who thinks that Natasha McKenna should not have been placed in police custody at all. A woman in that kind of distress should not have been in a prison because police should not be the people responding to and dealing with people who have severe mental illness. The police are oriented and trained to deal with people as criminal suspects to beat them down, to incarcerate them, and to even kill them off. And that happens many, many times with people who are mentally ill. As was just mentioned, there have been numerous cases of mistreatment of mentally ill inmates at prisons. But the following video shows other examples which you might find upsetting. Human Rights Watch says this problem is widespread. Back in May this year, it issued a report stating that officers in over 5,000 detention facilities across America use force when dealing with mentally ill prisoners. Well, there you have it. Uh, it's heart-wrenching. Uh, the first lady we heard there in a U.S. jail. Doesn't make convicted of a crime. And had she been convicted of a crime, 
that didn't come with them. And you have the mentally ill, you hear the frustration, the fear, the pain. Mr. Vetti, help me out on this one. Um, this now crosses not only the lack of transparency, but of blatant cruelty. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, one of the voices in that video, that harrowing video, um, said that this is proof that we don't need law enforcement responding to people in mental health crisis at all. And I agree. Um, and that's no knock on law enforcement. This isn't their job. We don't call police to perform heart surgery or uh, uh, play for the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> Uh, and we don't have to call them when people are in mental health crisis. You know, we talk a lot about training. Um, I agree that retraining cops um, to do their job differently isn't going to work. But training as a general matter is a great thing. And you know what? We have lots of very well-trained mental health professionals and social workers and addiction specialists who know exactly how to deal with people in crisis like that without tasering them, um, without hurting them. And it's no knock on anyone to say, well, let's be smart, smarter about our responses. Let's tailor our responses to our fellow human beings to what they're actually going through. But what we've done over decades in America is filter more and more of our responses to the criminal justice system and less and less to smart public policy approaches. Um, and so what I want to see is us go back to a place where we just tailor the solution to the problem. And I think if we just reorient ourselves that way, um, and uh, we, we can get a lot of change out of this system uh, without, without devaluing anybody already in it. No, absolutely. William? Yes, Mr. Trevetti, I had a quick question. Um, how are you seeing the involvement with the ACLU and a lot in cases? Are you seeing an in increase in cases where um, with cases against uh, police departments, are you seeing an increase? Or, or what's some of the chatter that you're kind of hearing right now? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think for years in America, it was taboo to um, criticize, much less sue law enforcement, um, because they did, you know, they had done a good job of portraying themselves as wearing the white hat. Um, and because the voices of the folks that they were oppressing were silent. Um, and we didn't have cell phone videos of, of interactions going wrong, right? So they were able to control the narrative, control their own narrative. Um, and now that's different. Um, now we have evidence that, again, while maybe not all police interactions go wrong, many, many do. Um, and now that we have the proof, it's also easier to bring civil rights cases like the ones we bring. So, yes, um, there has been an uptick. Um, there's also been an uptick in... Um, law enforcement itself holding people accountable. It's not nearly enough yet. We need it. We need more of it. But as we saw with Derek Chauvin, at least where there is, you know, incontrovertible proof, um, a prosecutor, uh, importantly, a black prosecutor, Keith Ellison in, in Minnesota, um, had what he needed to actually bring charges against and convict a law enforcement official. And as I've said, that's not nearly enough. That's not going to fix systemic problems. Um, but it is proof that finally law enforcement is not always above the law, and we do have the tools necessary and the people who are motivated to bring cases against them, and, and we're going to do it. 
No, absolutely. And Mr. Betty, I wanted to ask you regarding the Board and Innocence Project. What is that? Yeah, so the Innocence Project is an organization that tries to free people who have been wrongfully convicted. So whereas the ACLU, we represent any criminal defendant, guilty or not, because we believe that everyone deserves uh, a defense and, and that the government cannot achieve convictions unconstitutionally, even if a person is guilty, the Innocence Project has a, has a narrower focus on people who are actually wrongfully convicted, which is horrific and happens way too much in America. So um, I am on the innocent, I'm on the board of the Innocence Project of Texas, um, which is, as we all know, its own country. So it's a pretty big job. But um, right. we work to get innocent folks in Texas uh, exonerated, mainly through DNA evidence, right? Yes. Um, uh, but through other, but through other interventions as well, um, because again. We cannot believe we cannot have trust in a system that wrongfully convicts anybody. No, oh, absolutely right. And Mr. Trevetti, I do want to uh, thank you for joining us tonight. As our we're back up against the clock now, as we get ready to close out on this show, uh, can't thank you enough for being here. I think the the information not only to us in this studio but to our listeners around the globe uh, that tune into this show. Uh, is your your discussion has been very informative. Uh, things to think about and how do we come together? How do we institute change? Those are things we need to know. Uh, resolutions to some of these problems. And I'm hopeful that as this discussion and dialogue continues, that we are able to find that common ground uh, and hopefully start saving some lives and, and hopefully returning to humane treatment of individuals. I think is critically important. But your perspective has added a very a large part to this show tonight. We want to thank you for that so very much. Well, amen. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you and your viewers. Okay, and we'll be in touch with you as to keep you updated on what's going on in this case, uh, the lawsuit, all of that. If you want, uh, we'll definitely keep you updated. If you have an issue that you want to talk about, a uh, platform you need to get some information out, please don't hesitate to contact us as well as you have a friend here at ADC Radio and the Just Cause organization. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Okay, take care. Well, there you have it. Uh, Samil Trevetti, uh, resume, uh, impressive, long, detailed, uh, some history here that uh, uh, definitely gets into the conversation. Samson, your thoughts on, on this guest? Uh, I just, again, like hit the pedigree that he comes from as far as his background and everything like that. I mean, he, he brought a lot to the conversation. I think he had some great uh, ideas and perspectives and the fact that, you know, with dealing with the police policing your own, uh, the systemic change that has to have not only in, you know, law enforcement, how they treat, you know, personnel as a whole, but also their treatment towards, you know, uh, the people of color in this nation. The fact of the matter is, you know, statistically, they're targeted more than, you know, white Americans. And the fact is, it has to change. The tactics they use, everything they has to do, it has to change. And I think that with people like him, and AJC Radio at the forefront of this fight, I think, is just going to go a long ways to help push this agenda. Okay. Uh, Clint, your thoughts, closing thoughts on this guest? I thought he brought a fresh perspective. I definitely enjoyed what he had to say about the silent majority, and uh, that, that, that just really resonated with me. We definitely need to engage the silent majority because they have power, but it's not being used you know, in the law enforcement community. Mr. Trevetti uh, uh, brought a tremendous uh, perspective, and certainly appreciate it, uh, hearing that perspective. Demetrius, uh, Mr. Trevetti brings a, a unique perspective on how we can change this culture. 
that we have. Uh, and hopefully that we can, the thing that troubles me is that we have this, you know, like we talked about earlier, this blue wall, but with some of the things that he brought to the table tonight on changing the way we think the process and the uh, law enforcement as well as the judicial system, I think we'll bring a, a lot of positive change that we need to do. Dave Zapolo. One of the things I really like is you see somebody that, that has a passion for his job, what he's doing and the changes that he wants to make. And that's refreshing to hear because sometimes you have people that have been in it for so long that they are just uh, sleepwalking through it. And he really has a passion. I, I enjoyed his explanation of the funding, uh, the police in reference to uh, minimizing interaction between police and community. David. Yeah, I think he, uh, Mr. Mr. was, like you said, he actually had real solutions yeah. and and can cite things that are working in certain areas. The, the goal is to, to get those solutions more broadly adapted and utilized by other uh, police departments, many police departments across the country, and then maybe we can see some real, real change. And uh, very special thanks to the Gazette Telegraph uh, on their article regarding the injustice suffered by Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Go uh, to GazetteTelegraph.com. Uh, you'll find that story regarding the, the story we talked about today regarding the Colorado Springs Police Department. Detective Corrado, Chief Niski, uh, Deputy Chief Adrian Vasquez, the Mayor uh, Southers, of course, who has remained silent uh, at the actions of his officers who are under his command. Uh, is a true disgrace and the hypocrisy uh, of, of transparency uh, we intend as an organization to uncover and to expose. This is IGC Radio, ladies and gentlemen. Till next time, good night.